Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 250. We made it all the way here. I don't know how, but somehow we got here a quarter of the way to 1,000, apparently. Uh, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Prez. That is at Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you? I'm good. I have continued my, I think... This is the third week of me not watching games live and watching them like the day after or the day after that. Can confirm, unsurprisingly, that my mental health has soared spectacularly since implementing this. Um, It hasn't been on purpose. It's just kind of happened. But I think I'm going to keep doing this. I would actually appreciate if you don't keep doing it because there's (laughs) nothing more annoying than you messaging me 15 times the next day like, oh, man, this layup by RJ was really bad. I'm like... Yeah, dude, I re- I watched it last night. I don't want to relive it. Uh, but we are joined by a very special guest. I believe it's the second time on this pod. His name is Mike Morganov. He is a national writer, basketball and business reporter for The Athletic. Mike, that's at Mike Morganov on Twitter. Mike, how are you? What's going on, guys? What's going on? Yeah, I think it's the second time. Oh, might, might be the third. I think I had to bail on you guys after like 45 minutes without a phone call coming in. <laughs> Yeah, might might have been, but I think that was like before we were on Pod Strickland. I think that was when we were still over on PNT. So, uh, second time on this pod, third time altogether. Uh, glad to have you on. Before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The Strickland has an Instagram. You should plot to- twist. Yes, exactly. Plot twist. We have an Instagram. Subscribe to that. Check it out. It is at the Strick.land on Instagram, just like it's the website. The Strickland, the Strick.land. Uh, check that out. There's a lot of fun stuff that we're doing on there that we're adding to. Um, look forward to more. We also have a YouTube channel where this podcast, which if you're watching it, you're watching it on YouTube. Uh, it'll be posted right there. So hit like, subscribe, help us get to a thousand. It is a big help if you do. We also have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of tiers. There's a six down here that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this pod that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week that is hosted by Andrew Steele and Dallas Amico, the Doug bag, as we like to call it. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops uh, for better or worse. Probably for worse. But it never stops. Uh, and it's very exciting. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more, if you can possibly imagine. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, the Knicks lost a basketball game. They also won a basketball game against Detroit. You cannot forget that. Very, very, um, it's a key game. They managed to handle their business. But uh, Knicks also lost a game to the Bucks yesterday uh, by six. 109-103 it was a very close game. 
of course, Grayson Allen uh, hit the most annoying shot ever because he's the most annoying human being ever. Um, and so that happened. Uh, so I guess, you know, we live in the minutia of the Knicks day in, day out. Mike, luckily, you no longer have to do this as you're no longer the beat reporter of the Knicks. But I think you still keep up with the team. So I'm curious to just kind of get, like, your thoughts uh, on what you've seen so far this year, kind of their moves in the offseason, and just kind of where things are. Because, um, you know, I, I'm i sure from your, your bird's eye view, you can see that the angst among the fan base is building. Um, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I still follow you guys all on Twitter. There's there's a lot of agita every day. I feel like you're just white knuckling through every day. Uh, it's not healthy, probably. I can see it. You guys are just angrier. There's more like angry media tweets. There's more angry everything tweets. I was actually there. What was it last night for the Bucks game? Oh, wow. um, which was an interesting experience, as you said. Grace and Allen kind of finished them off there. Uh, I, did, I mean, uh, did, did Leon talk to you on the on the record? <laughs> I actually saw Leon pregame. I said hello. I, I uh, uh, that was a rarity. I think that was maybe the second time I've talked to him in what three years now. Um, no, so I mean, listen, upside you're tied for tenth, right? In the play-in tournaments, the Knicks and the Heat, they're tied for tenth. It's just like the old days. Um, <laughs> but. I think, you know, for someone who was very heavily in, you know, in, involved in or really just, you know, in the minutia, right, of it, and now just taking a bigger picture, I think a lot of the problems are just kind of, um, really, it's a lack of clarity of where they're going um, and, and where this is all leading to. I know I think the presuming thought about the Knicks is always like, okay, at some point, uh, they're trying to acquire a superstar, but this is year three now uh, of this current regime, and, and there's... Their one chance at a superstar, their one realistic chance at a superstar has gone by, and I'm sure we can get into that trade if you'd like. But um, it's really just trying to look for clarity of, of where this is all going and what that next step will be. Because at some point, uh, you have to um, you have to make one big leap or try to at least. Because in New York, uh, I, you know, I the way I always describe it, I was trying to tell Fred when he took over the job is like. You can't always think about the Knicks in purely rational terms um, because they don't always operate in purely rational terms just because of uh, where the ownership is. You know, that's not always an assessment of the front office or the coach. It's just kind of the situation as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think what you talk about, the lack of clarity, that's probably the most frustrating part. And, like, this is where I think it's weird because people are like, well, you know, there's no clarity. Like, they're not talking to anybody. And I, I, I'm sure you know this. I don't really care that they don't talk to me or you or anybody. But, like, I think the lack of clarity comes through anyway because, um, like, we're seeing it with the roster. Like, like last night is a perfect example, and, and what we've seen throughout this year is a perfect example. Emmanuel quickly, throughout two years in his career, you know, I think he's obviously vastly outperformed expectations of when you take somebody at the 25th pick. Uh, I thought he acquitted himself very well last year in a lot of weird and strange circumstances, we can just say. Um, and it's like, where are you headed, right? So. Second-year player, finishes the year super strong. Okay, you signed Jalen Brunson. Personally, like, there are people that have a really big problem with that because it's like, no, no, just, you know, play quickly. And I think it's fine. I think most people are like, Brunson's really good. That's fine. Like, they can play together, and then you give quickly the backup point guard spots. But Tom Thibodeau is our head coach. And as long as Tom Thibodeau is our head coach, we have one Derrick Rose on this roster who uh, he will go down with, you know, they will go down together with the ship. 
And like yesterday, you saw, right? Brunson picks up some weird injury to start the game. And who's the first up? Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose comes in. He plays the backup point guard minutes. And we've seen this now that, like, since he's, especially since he's going back to the 10 man rotation, Derrick Rose is the first guard off the bench. And not just since he's the first, first guard off the bench, he's basically the only other person on the team that's getting point guard reps other than Jalen Brunson. Because if you look at Quickly's minutes, you know, since we've gone back to this 10 man rotation, it has been that when he's in the game, he's either in the game with Derrick Rose or he's in the game with Jalen Brunson. And that, to me, encapsulates, like, what are we doing? Because to me, it's like, I got, when they traded for Derrick Rose the first, you know, their first year together, and, you know, they make this magical fucking, you know, 41 win run and everything, it, it's fine. But I think, like, you're at the point now where it's like, you have outgrown Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose does not really serve a purpose for your team in the short run, and he definitely doesn't matter to your team in the long run. So why is he here now? taking minutes, and it's not just quickly because there's a trickle-down effect of his minutes, right? It takes minutes away from quickly, it effectively takes minutes away from Grimes, and it takes away minutes from camp. And it's like, why is that happening given where you are? Because I think it's safe to say, and maybe even reasonable to say, that like, whatever your goals are in this for this year, forget the long term, just for this year, I don't think your goals are materially being moved one way or the other, with or without Derrick Rose. So at that point, why would you not not play Derrick Rose? Like, why, why would you why would you play him? Because it just doesn't really make sense to me to not give those minutes to younger players who, one, you need more information on for whatever decisions you're going to make on them, and two, like, they need minutes, and maybe see, they can surprise you because young players surprise you. We see it up and down yeah. the roster where this front office's approach is very hands-off with Tibbs, which is not unusual. There's a zillion front offices where, you know, they don't interfere with the coaches' rotations. That's actually most front offices, I'm pretty sure. Um, Where the disconnect is, is that you, you know, we have no way of, like, confirming this, but with a lot of the players who this front office drafts or trades for or signs... Tibbs uses them in a really, really different way that is often counterproductive. And faced with that conflict of like, okay, our person who we acquired is not being used how we envisioned it. They're content to just let it live rather than uh, push Tibbs on the push <laughs> Tibbs on the issue. When it when when the proper role and the acquisition aligns. It works out wonderfully, right? Like Cam Reddish this season is an example of that. Like last year he didn't play. This year, their vision of Cam, which was role player Cam, right? Not hot sauce Cam, <laughs> uh, is something that Tibbs was like, huh, I can get behind. And he has. And it's been pretty awesome. But unfortunately, that's been the exception. And, you know, this has not been surprising. Um the, the double-edged sword of Tibbs is when he gets players in the right roles, he gets such good buy-in that often teams can overperform, but he's there's always a high risk of him just miscasting guys completely. You know, Hartenstein comes to mind as the most crazy examples. Like, he literally has, like, one... Like, all the internet pop-ups, like, one special trick. He literally has one special trick, which is, like, dime-off like crazy from 
the top of the key. And Tibbs is like, uh, no, you, you will be doing no be timing Mitch. off. Just be Mitchell Robinson. Right, right. <laughs> so, like, and, and there's no way the front office signed this guy who's clear. What differentiates him from other centers is that specific ability along with uh, his nifty little floater. Um, but, you know, they're they're very hands-off. They're They're with him. They don't, I think they make decisions they prefer to make decisions about this stuff and have these conversations in the off season, not during so, the season. I have a question regarding that for you, Mike. Um, so, like last year, right when they acquired Cam Reddish, it became this like weird thing where if you trade a protected first for a guy who has a year and a half left before he enters restricted free agency, the underlying assumption is like the front office wants to see that guy play, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, there were reports that they did talk to Tibbs about this before they made the deal. Tibbs didn't want them to do the deal. They did it anyway. So, like, there's this – there's been people, uh, Knicks fans and, you know, writers and stuff, that are like, well, they're not listening to Tibbs. Like, they're not on the same page. And I I can, like, kind of understand that, okay, maybe they're not on the same page. Hartenstein might be another example of this. But to me, I, I, I have a hard time – agreeing with the idea they're not totally on the same page. Whereas, like, we know Tibbs' history with front offices previously. Like, I think they might very well communicate this stuff to him, and he's just, like, he does his own thing. Like, he's like, that's great that you have input. But Yeah, yeah, that's how, like, that's 100% yeah, how it's, it is. It's like, it's I know you cur- didn't ask me, but... <laughs> no, it's like, it's, like, it's like the Colonel Jessup thing in A Few Good Men, right? He's like, I run my unit how I run my unit. Like, that's Tibbs. And I, like, well, do you think that's fair what? to say, or do you think, or do you think that, like, the front office does owe it to him that if if he does express like like for, like with the centers, we know exactly what he wants from his centers. Do you think it's wrong of them to bring in a player like Hartenstein who is totally different from them and expect Tibbs to adjust to that? Well, look, I think you know just listening to you guys there on, on the whole Tibbs issue that you were guys talking about, it, it was obviously weighted in a way that's like dismissive of Tibbs, right? You're saying he did he's playing these players out of the roles that they should be doing, and I would say that if it was kind of a, a a healthier organization, right? You would have that sort of alignment to right. the front office 100%. and the head coach, right? And so you can you can take it one way. You can say, look, they brought in Isaiah Hartenstein. He likes to play in a different way. He's not a Mitch, right? He's not a Mitch clone. He has a certain skill set. Um, and he's doing something now in a way that probably doesn't accentuate his best traits, right? You can say the same thing about what Cam was last year when he just straight up just didn't play, right? Like they traded for him, they traded it first, and then we just never saw Cam Reddish again he for played, a while. He played, the, he played the Kevin Knox role. Right. So <laughs> so there's, you know, I would say, I think one of the interesting things about, um, at least early on when Tibbs got there and this regime got there, was that Tibbs, from my understanding, was involved a good deal in the player acquisition part, right? Um, and so you ended up getting players who kind of fit into what he's doing. And when you hire someone like Tom Thibodeau, you're not expecting him to be kind of like a patsy, right? Like it's not baseball where you're hiring right. the, uh, the the manager as a middle manager for what the front office wants to do. You're Looking at you, Eric Boone, fucking bum. <laughs> <laughs> right? And we, as you said, like is still happen. fresh. There, there's some organizations maybe where that happens, uh, but that's also probably with younger head coaches, less experienced head coaches. Like you hire Tom Thibodeau because you need all the best parts of Tom Thibodeau, right? And so to continuously bring in players who don't fulfill roles that he likes, and um, play the way that he likes. And by now, I think everyone kind of knows what Tom Thibodeau likes and the way he likes to play offense and defense. Uh, I, I think that's also an issue with the front office too, right? Like if you trying to, if you repeatedly trying to get players that you think are good, 
uh, not understanding what will happen once they get on the team, right? Like that's, that's mismanagement on both ends. And I think, and this is not me trying to, you know, uh, stand up for Tom Thibodeau, but it's, it's gotta be both ways. It's not just a one person issue. Right. And by now, you know, what Tom, you know, what Tibbs wants and you know why he plays some of the guys he does. Right. And so I think to continuously think that you can acquire someone who will just like not fit that role and he'll be the guy who breaks the mold. I don't know. That seems foolhardy. It is. So, it is. hundred percent. I, I, I think this is what, like, if you listen to podcasts from, like, 80 episodes ago, we're like, why can't Tibbs just, like, be smart and not stupid about players <laughs> with cool skills? But the last, like, 50 episodes or so is very much like, okay, okay, like, exactly what you said, Mike. Like, you know what's going to happen when you bring these guys. Like, you know there's going to be some shenanigans with the roles with everybody except for, like, Derrick Rose and centers for the most part. And he's managed to even do that with centers now. And but. I think there's actually, look, there's there's two consistent things that Tom mm-hmm. uh, Thibodeau wants in his teams, right? I, well, offensively, let's say, but like, he wants a guard who can get downhill to break down the defense. He wants that, and that's why he'll play uh, Derrick Rose at the point guard role instead of Emmanuel Quickly, because that's why, that's Derrick Rose's strength, right? Uh, as opposed to Quickly, who's a little more, the, let's say, laterally oriented. The, the best example of this was Elf, right? The first year, because it was like, yeah, Elf, I mean, that play. was... Yeah. Listen, that's also why I about that. That's that, also that why I keep getting the yeah. returns many, many, many games uh, before the end of the season. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's that's just what he likes, and he likes his yeah. uh, his rim protection on defense, and he likes his guys to play that way. Um, and he's got a certain role for them in the offense as well, and it works too, right? But I think he's also shown some leeway to change. Like you look at the offensive profile of the Knicks mm-hmm. over the last three years, and the way it's changed, and the way it's kind of gone to the extremes and three point rates. Um, floaters, like all these things. He's shown uh, malleability there. And I think it's kind of more in line with probably what the front office wants and what the analytics and strategy team wants. And they just, you know, nonetheless, there's, you know, they're at loggerheads. And by when I say where is a lack of clarity, um, I wasn't talking about, you know, Leon Rose talking to the media or not talking to the media. I mean, like literally Michael Scott style, I declare bankruptcy, (laughs) tell me what we're doing in five years. Like I meant, like more so what is the plan and i think people around the league are also asking that same question about the knicks like i talk to people i'm like hey what do you think the knicks and a lot of the responses are like what do you think of the knicks and i'm like (laughs) i don't know it's hard to figure out sometimes yeah um so that's what i mean by lack of clarity and you actually have that lack of cohesion yeah. yeah i think and i think to go back to what you're talking about with tibbs um like i'm curious to get your thoughts on this so when they okay so what I think people just in general, like zooming back out, looking back, like when it started, right? Leon gets hired. Leon's never been a, a front office exec before, right? Yeah, he's run an agency, did that very successfully. He's delegated tasks, I'm sure. Like it, it's, he has obviously a lot of experience in management of some kind, and he has experience in basketball, but he does not have experience of running an organization, a basketball team, right? Okay, so what does he do? He hires obviously people in the front office. Roll out West, his right hand man. But then he goes out, okay, he gets a Brock Aller from Cleveland. You know, he gets a Walt Perrin from Utah. Like, he, he gets some experienced execs to kind of fill in spots around him, right? Um, and I think that makes sense. So then you're like, okay, how do I handle the coaching piece of this? And for that, right, he interviews, like, if you actually look back at the guys that interviewed, a lot of these guys ended up becoming, it was like Ime Udoka was one. Jamal Mosley was another one. I think they had Will they Hardy. Yeah, Will Hardy. Will so Hardy, they yeah. interviewed all these like wonderkins. Uh, go. I don't guess we don't know where Emmanuel Doka stands right now. So we'll just leave that guy alone. Um, 
but like they they interview all these these smarter younger minds and then they settle on Tom Thibodeau which I do understand is like even if you want to say he was always going to be the guy I do get like the idea of okay look this is my first time doing it let me pick a guy that I know and I know like one thing we can say about Tibbs is you're never going to have to wonder where what he wants right like you like we said like we know there are things he wants and desires so you go with the known quantity you work with this guy you know this guy probably better than anybody else okay cool what i think is the really frustrating part i can only speak for myself and i think i can speak for prez here too is i agree with the, i'm fine with that and i do actually think tibbs has done and we, i've talked about this endlessly I've actually defended Tibbs in this. You might be surprised. Uh, I actually think he's a pretty good development coach. I do think he's a good development coach. But at some point in development development of players, you have to be able to trust them in bigger roles, bigger responsibilities on the floor. And that's the part he has struggled with now for the better part of a year. And that, to me, is the frustrating part for the like if, when evaluating the front office. Because like I do like a lot of the moves they've made. You know, I like getting Brunson. I thought that move was really good. Um, I don't care that they could have drafted Jalen Williams and AJ Griffin. Like they traded out, they cleared a bunch of dudes that we wanted to get rid of anyway. They signed a point guard, which last time you came on, we argued about should they get a, should they go for Chris Paul or not? And lo and Damn. behold, <laughs> lo and behold, they got a point guard which I wanted and which you advocated for at the time. Uh, so they got they get Jalen Brunson. I like that move. I think that's an investment into your young players, actually. I think a guy mm-hmm. like that sure. put them into right roles. Uh, I like the Cam Reddish move. I like that you buy low on a talent and you trust your development staff. And I think, I, I'm not going to say they've won that trade, but it, it's definitely not a dud. Like, you know, there's something there with Cam. He seems better this year. Yeah. yeah, we've seen him grow. And Tibbs deserves credit for that, but the front office deserves credit for that. Because if they listened to Tibbs, he wouldn't be here. Um I like the way I think they've drafted well, even if they haven't drafted the perfect guy at every slot. Like, I think they've drafted good players. You know, they've done things I like. But then I'm like, okay, but like, what's the plan? Like, you drafted OB8, Julius Randle's still here. You added Hartenstein in the summer. Like, where are the, are, do you have any plan to get OB on the floor more? You know, Emmanuel Quickly is still here. Why are you still playing Derrick Rose? Quentin Grimes is here. Why the hell did you ever let Tom Thibodeau say, Evan Fournier was the grandfathered in starter. Like, like I just don't understand that part of it. And then, like, while I disagree with the notion of like this kind of argument that's come about, where it's like, well, if they were going to do all this, why don't they just trade for Donovan Mitchell? Like, I don't agree with that logic, but I do understand why people feel that way because you're like, well, what is the point of having all of these various things if you're not really doing anything to prioritize them? And I think that is the really like when you see the agita and the angst of like Knicks fans on Twitter. I think, and the whole, like, not knowing the plan, right? It's because you're like, there's these things that are good, and then there are these things that you are maintaining that make no sense with them. So what is the plan? And it's like, your plan, if your plan is just, we want to trade for a star, I'm fine with that plan. I actually think that's a fine plan. But guess what? To do that, you you have to, like, really prioritize your young players and let them take their lumps, be on the floor. And... Like, it's okay if you want to bring in a Brunson to kind of help them take their lumps. But when you have Brunson and you have Randall and then you have Tibbs overseeing this whole thing and how he distributes minutes and does rotations and all that stuff, like, it just doesn't really feel like the overarching plan. Like, they, it seems very disparate. It feels like there's very, like, two sides of this 
that are not meeting anyway. And if you look back at that, your own Weitzman article, the first one, right. That about like that look into the Knicks, like you can kind of sense it then too. And, and it's like, there never has been that. It doesn't feel like they've ever actually come together. It just feels like they had this season the first year round where everything just kind of worked. And since then they've been battling to just get on the same page and, Maybe they're not even battling to get on the same page. It feels like there's two different sides of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the first year was so weird. Like, one, it was a COVID season, right? Um, the lack of fans for the majority of the year. Uh, you know, I think the buy the buy in level is so high, partially because it was a bunch of guys who might not have been in the league for long after that, right? Like Alec Burks was there on a minimum, not one year six six million dollars. No one's Noel was there on a one year deal, right? Like mm. all these guys trying to cash in. First year, Tom Thibodeau, um, Bullock was a young free guys. Agent. Yeah, Bullock, yeah. Um, and second of all, your own Weitzman is a bum, and you can tell him I said that. Uh, <laughs> don't bring his name up again on this podcast. Um, and so I think since then, I think it might it might easier it might just be easier to say that like the Knicks have always played to their talent level, right? Like everyone agrees that they wildly overperformed, right? So they've regressed to the mean a little bit. Like Julius Randle shooting never was going to most likely was never going to stay at 41 percent hitting a bunch of step back off the dribble <laughs> self-created threes right like i remember talking to his trainer the guy that he worked out with before the year they were just trying to get 34 percent, 35 percent from three that's what their goal was right yeah um he wildly overperformed and so they've kind of found their level a little bit since then and what are they 37 wins last year uh they're like 10 and 12 right now so there's like roughly the same exact thing so no one will look at their roster and be like, hey, these guys are just, they're not good. Like, they, they, be, they should be so much better. Why are they underperforming? Like, this is a talent level, right? Um, and they're playing to it to some degree. And I, I understand your, your, what you're saying about the young guys, but also, like, they're giving R.J. Barrett a lot of minutes, right? Mitchell Robinson is the starting center now. He's playing a lot of minutes. Um, Jalen Brunson, you want to play? a lot of minutes. Oh yeah. yeah and that's, uh, right. And so like really the only gripe that seems to come to is the Julius Randall thing. Um, and I'm not advocating for Julius Randall to do, to play more, to play 35 minutes a night. Uh, but there are still things that he does well that Ogi Tavin cannot replicate. And I think the biggest issue with him is that he hasn't played defense as assertively <laughs> as he did that first year. And that's a legitimate, like big issue. I not diminishing that at all. But he, like, offensively, he's been kind of the same guy the whole three years, and maybe the biggest difference is whether the shot's going in or not. Um, and Obi Toppin, I like him, too. He's shown a lot of growth, like, player development. Like, I thought <laughs> the first two, three months when he was oh, in man. New York, I was like, oof, oof, this pick was not good. <laughs> uh, but he's, like, he's played so much better. He's shown so much growth and so much skill development. Um, but I think there's still questions if he's a 35-minute-a-night starter. Uh, especially just like, especially the way Tom Thibodeau wants to play or any team that really, really prioritizes defense and playing in the half court because the Knicks are not a full court kind of team. Yeah. It's one of those weird things where I, I, the disconnect is more like when people say the goal, I think they really mean how they're getting to the goal and the particulars because we live it and breathe it. And we're just like, like, like you said at the top of the pod, Mike, it's, Every day it's something, right? And you're so invested and there's like 18 Knicks podcasts and Knicks fans are crazy and listen to all of them somehow. And, you know, you're just... Actually, regarding that, we had somebody in our Discord today mention that they've mastered listening to podcasts at two and a half X speed, 
which like Why? I'm like okay, so that so now I understand how you listen to the podcast. <laughs> People have been posting their um, you know, like the Spotify Wrapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and uh, somebody I, I don't remember if it was our pod or Nick's film school, but it was like fifty thousand minutes or something crazy <laughs> like that. And I was like, no, just put it down and delete Spotify. Like this is this is right up there with a drug habit. Like this is harmful <laughs> for you and you're addicted. Get help. But Talk by the way, definitely subscribe to the Patreon. Also subscribe to the Patreon. <laughs> to whatever you can. And Instagram and YouTube. Um but yeah, it's kinda like I, I just wonder if they've uh you know, at the beginning, what was it, four years and then eventually they added a year to Tibbs contract? No, so it extension? was. It was I thought it was five, five at first. It might be it was, five. Yeah, you know, it's it's what it was four reported. plus one or. Yeah, what was reported was a five year deal. Then uh, it was report. It was reported then that they had guaranteed the last part of it I after see. the first year, but yeah. then Begley reported that they had like, uh, that he he's worded it a little bit weirdly, but the way it sounds is that the last year is not guaranteed. So it's probably like he's got one more guaranteed year after this one. Yeah, Four this plus is, ones are pretty common, like coaching deals, where yeah, the last yeah. one is a team option. Cool. I'm not saying that's the case for Tibbs, but that that kind of aligns with the kind of deals given out, yeah. right? And given the performance in the beginning, it's easy to see them just being like, "Ah, fuck it, guarantee it." Like you killed it this year, right? Which you did. So I, I totally see that. It's just because the superstar acquisition hasn't gone as they ta- wanted it to go in terms of when it happens then the pivot is just a complete stumble. And I don't think they were really prepared for that as a front office. Like they're I, like, I, I, can, I don't, I can say like with mm. pretty good certain, like I can, I, I know this, <laughs> I know this. They, they did not, they, down in Mitchell, was not to, he was not supposed to come on the market this year. That that was not. Okay. The okay. plan was Donovan Mitchell was next year. That was the plan. So the plan got sped up because Danny Ainge is an asshole. Um, yeah, so they didn't pivot, and now it's you've reached that point in the Tibbs. Uh, who was it? Um, Haley, she's not, I forget where she's at now, she's not at the ringer, but she wrote the article, um, about like the lifespan of Tibbs teams and, and all of that. <laughs> and it, it's hilarious and insanely predictive in retrospect, where you hit the point where like goals begin to conflict if other goals are not achieved, then we're right there with the Knicks, and it's just. It, it just manifests in so many big and small ways. Like the Obi thing is another good example. Like you said, Mike, he has developed really well. Like he's a legit plus shooter now, but yeah, he also see a larger sample size first. Yeah. Let's, let's give him more than 20 games. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I'd put a, I'd put the money on it. He's missed like two free throws or something this year, but like either way, even if he's just a solid shooter, mm-hmm. like he's come a long way from, I got nobody must have airballed more corner threes than Ovi Toppin early. No, he He did not. There was perception issues in the corner, man. Not just airballing. I remember he hit the side of the backboard on a corner three. Well, like it was ugly. It was ugly his rookie year. He still he he still unleashes a a nice nice corner three airball every now and then. Yeah, I think I remember at one point I was keeping count of it. I think he had more corner three airballs than he did like made corner threes. It was crazy, and it was like March. It was like (laughs) it was really wild and. And now I'm like, oh, cool. Like, we know he's not going to be a bad shooter. He, he, you know, we can debate about how good of a shooter. But also, we don't want him taking only threes. 
and now he's like Steve Novak discount double check Harlem version or whatever. And it's like, okay, too much of the other direction, Tibbs. And uh, I, it's well, well, it's to me, the Obi, the Obi thing is like, like I hear what you're saying with, like he, I, and I agree with this. Like he has developed players well, and like yes, like you know he has played R.J. Barrett a lot. He has played Mitchell Robinson a lot. It is hard to balance having Randall and getting Obi minutes. I get all that, but like even in, like I watch Obi this year. I haven't looked up the numbers. I can look this up once I'm done yelling about this. But, like, I'm pretty confident he gets less touches now in pick and roll or just oh, yeah. touches than oh, he yeah. ever has. Than he ever has. And it's so, it's so insane that the Knicks fan base, like, have you ever seen, have you ever noticed talking points, quote-unquote talking points among Knicks fans, frustrated complaints that just disappear because we've just, like, there's just too many other things to bitch about? Like, right. remember and, Obi Toppin not getting reps as the role man? Yeah, <laughs> not, and, and not a think, people about that. That's like yeah. a relic of yesteryear. Nobody says that on Twitter now. Yeah, and and I think I think in general, like, what really the frustration is is like, I think Tibbs, look, he's definitely. I think they're tenth in pace right now. Maybe it's slower after yesterday. I'm not sure. Um, but I I, I have no idea. Uh, and I think that. Like they have, you know, like you mentioned, modernize the shot chart, right? Those are all completely accurate, no doubt. But to me, I watch them play, and I'm like, it still feels like more of an eye test kind of guy. Yeah, no, well, like when I'm just saying, like when you're watching them, like how do they derive those shots, right? How are those shots being generated? It's still the same type of actions. It's still the same. Like there's yesterday, like the amount of times we mismatch hunt with Julius Randle. He is the worst mismatch hunter in the NBA. He is the worst person I've ever watched posting up a mismatch. Yesterday, he's got like Grayson Allen on him on a on a switch, and he's getting pushed out eighteen feet. Like, mm. why are you gigantic? I I hate this. I hate watching this. But like this, but like you said, like there are certain things that are just that are tips, right? Tibbs is going to like mismatch hunt. He for better or worse, that is a huge part of what he wants to, do, especially in end game situations. And, like, that is, like, so when people are just talking about, like, it feels stagnant, I don't think it's about, like, the shot chart and, and yes, players are developing. But you're like, okay, Obi Toppin, since he's come in the league, has been used as, like, basically a floor spacer. At Mm -hmm. what point do you do something with him that is like, oh, yeah, I remember we drafted this nuclear athlete, crazy short roll passing specimen in that in that capacity at all, and I I think that like it's it's constantly, you know I, I think there's like this weird like there's not idea. a lot of there's not a lot of adjustments to the strengths of his players, and I'll give you another example like conversely um, that I noticed uh, the Bucks did and the Grizzlies did versus us. Um, there were times they, they adjusted had, they had how Giannis they used. And they had John Morant. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Giannis is crazy, man. Like, I think that's the biggest problem is they haven't traded for Giannis or John. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna put that out there. We're just you... gonna clip that, and then we're gonna clip your your own sentiments, and that's it. And put nothing else out <laughs> into the universe. Do you think that we should go more than uh, two unprotected picks for Giannis? Uh, just go scour the streets of Greece, man. It's not that hard. Go fucking find malnourished, physical, genetic specimens. He's in OKC right now. You gotta wait right. for him to play his contract out. I know, I know. But uh, so like you're waiting on Poku. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think he's gonna get the max. 
I don't if if OKC doesn't give him the max, I don't know what they're doing anymore. He's still eighteen. <laughs> Allegedly, I, I think know. I think honestly the, the Knicks' biggest problem is for all the the good, interesting young players that they have. Um, I think that they have almost in a sense too many, um, and like they should have tried to con- to do a condensed trade earlier. Um, and I understand maybe depth is kind of necessary with Tom Thibodeau because of his kind of one for one substitution pattern style. Um, but no I, other coach I, does in the NBA. No, Doc Rivers does it. Oh, I forgot about there you go. Doc Rivers does it. OG um, <laughs> but so you know, I, I think that at some point you need to condense, right? You need to kind of, especially now is uh, quickly what is year? He's year three. Yeah, right. Be mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. year year three. So they're all reaching their extensions next year um, or the final years of their rookie contract, right? Um, and you're seeing that it not only is it <clears throat> kind of clear up playing time. It kind of makes things easier for the cap going forward. And I think at some point that move has to come um, for the Knicks. You have to use the young players more as trade assets than you do as uh, the players that they are. It don't, does, but I... Don't you have to develop I, them as trade assets, though? Like, that's, that's the part. That's part of it, but then, like, you look around but the like, league... You know, and- I, I think that I understand the development part, uh, and I, I think if you can, like, to your point, if you can say that Emmanuel quickly is a really good player based off his on-off splits, based on his shooting numbers, based on his just uh, kind of shooting talent, right? Um, and you've seen kind of him grow, outgrow what his draft profile was, and you have some clarity of thought about the type of player that he is. I'm sure there are teams around the league who have similar ideas, right? And necessary, it's not necessarily we need to see him play 30 minutes a night uh, to understand that maybe if he gets here in a different spot, he can eventually be that 25, 30 minute night guy. And he's averaged somewhere around like 23, 25 minutes per game, right? Which isn't nothing. He's not like a 12-minute-a-night backup point guard um, in another situation. Uh, or Obi Toppin, you see kind of the talent level that he has. And so it, it's not like you have to play this guy 35 minutes to truly develop him as a trade uh, prospective trade candidate. Like there are, there are teams that are out there that have their own data that can say, and their own scouts that can say, like, we think this guy is, you know, this good or how, whatever that level is. Yeah, and that's the frustrating thing. It, it's like we we argue over the development, but it's really not a binary, like playing time or not playing time. And you see teams walk that line all the time. Really good teams that are way fucking better than the Knicks, like the Grizzlies, you know, have Santi Aldama, Jake LaRavia, Xavier Tillman last year getting really mini- meaningful minutes, Zaire Williams, like other teams that go legit 10 deep. We've seen it with the Raptors. We've seen it with good teams. We've seen it with bad teams. Like we've literally, this is literally super common unless a team happens to be extremely top heavy. Like you can actually trust these guys with more minutes, you know, especially with injuries and things like that in this, in this league, like it's not uncommon. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think like forgetting the, the, one of the reasons uh, like, so even if we're to say, okay, Tibbs, like t- you, you can't expect any coach to get more than Tibbs even is out of these players, right? Let's let's just say that's that's accurate. That's true, hundred percent. This team's five hundred, no matter who's coaching it. It's it's like, and this this is this was a complaint last year. This is a complaint his first year, but we were winning more and and performing way above his expectations, so it didn't matter as much. But like every game feels like you're watching the same game. It's like okay, six minutes that's this true. sub, eight minutes this sub. Like and it's everything. It's, is the it's same. also true with strategic adjustment, and yeah. this is what I was gonna say before. So, like when the um when the Knicks had Quentin Grimes on on ball guys like Drew <laughs> or John Morant, those teams handled it differently than when the Knicks had Cam Reddish on those guys. When Cam was on those guys, he's a really good point of attack defender, but he's 
not good at getting around screens because he's really large and he depends on his size and length more than his quick feet. And, you know, meanwhile, Grimes has like salsa dancer feet. It's amazing. <laughs> like he can just shimmy around these screens like nothing is crazy. And they would just as literally as soon as it's like nobody had to call the play. As soon as Cam was out there, you could see the teams switch their plan, go into a high screen with a pitch back because they knew with momentum Cam was not going to get around the screen and then catch up to the ball handler. Right. And it was just an automatic read. And, like, these are young guys. These are the Half the Grizzlies are, like, 22 or younger. Like, these aren't guys who have been, you know, learning the ins and outs of defense like Taj Gibson for 12 years or something like that. Like, it's not crazy to shout have out these... No, no <laughs> Shout out Taj. Shout out Taj forever. Is he getting minutes? <laughs> I don't know. I hope, he's still, I hope he's still shooting corner threes. The I will say, like, if you, if, <laughs> if you put someone, like, quickly relative to his peers, I just looked this up. He's 12th in this draft class and just minutes played, right? And the guys ahead of him are either kind of top eight picks that just, you know, get minutes no matter what, or guys who have really outplayed their draft so, slot. So, like, but, like, if you're quickly, right, you came in as a rookie and you were like, okay, I am a backup guard, whatever position. Last year, comes in. Same exact role. You told him over the, we want to want you to develop your point guard skills. He didn't get to play point guard until Rose was injured. And then he was like, okay, you're playing. Like, a lot of this, like, I I know that his minutes played look great. But if you're him, and if you're just a fan watching this team, to me, it's like, there's no progression in his role. And that doesn't need to mean starter. But it does need to mean, like, I trust you over 34-year-old Derrick Rose. Like, if we cannot get there as an organization, to me, that's not just a failing of Tibbs. But at this point, like, it is a failing on the front office. Because, like, what is the point? Like, I, to me, that's an it's a it is, like, Tibbs and, or Tibbs, Obi and IQ have been playing the same exact role since I came to the NBA. It's the same mm-hmm. role. There's no variation. And, to and like, this is what I was saying. is like, like, you can tell me, let's say if Nick Nurse coached the Knicks, okay? Let's just say Nick Nurse coaches the Knicks. Maybe you can convince me there, like, let's, again, we'll just say he's not getting a single more win out of this team than Tibbs would. Okay. But I promise you one thing. I promise you one thing. If Nick Nurse was coaching this team, we would have seen Obi Toppin at the two. <laughs> we would have seen all kinds of combinations. But it's like, that's what I want to see. Because you don't have that superstar talent. You don't have the the surefire franchise cornerstone dude. So when you're talking about we need to find wins, you need to find edges, you got to find ways to win basketball games, to me, it doesn't feel like we're finding anything. It feels like Tibbs is pre- Again, I've talked about this before, but it's like, pre- like Tibbs acts... Like, he fucking climbed Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments from God before training camp, and this is how we're going to play the entire season, and that's that. There's no there's no adjustment. And it's like, that. Like I don't, I don't need him to give me, like, Listen, point OB, but I would David, like to see... David Fisdale talked about playing Knox at the two, KP at the three, <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, Bring Luke Cornette, one for all They kick. said he you, was a madman. You mad ran him out of town. You no, but he was terrible town. at his job, though. <laughs> he was terrible at the job. All this talk can... about experimentation. He was willing to give you experimentation. Yeah, he, he, he definitely the guy. experimented. He experimented with a lot of Moutier. Um, but like, <laughs> no, but like, like that's that is what is drives me nuts. Is like, I am totally of the opinion the Knicks do not have like a superstar star franchise cornerstone, and we we probably should talk about RJ Barrett because I think part of the agita that exists on Knicks Twitter has to do with the fact that RJ Barrett has really struggled to start this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like 
that to like the, the for the tip part of it, like the best way I can encapsulate what my frustrations are, why I just think you need to move on, is like, do I think he's incompetent and bad at like in isolation of his job? No, I think there's a cap to what Tibbs can give you as a coach. He's not the guy who's going to take you from ground zero to a championship. That's just not what he is. But what he did is he took you from ground zero and he gave you a floor. He gave you exactly what I think this front office wanted, right? They wanted a guy who's going to deliver some competent moments, uh, maybe turn it into like a, you know, they, they made the playoffs. Like they, they got to a certain level. But now, like, you've outgrown and maybe that has not that's not just on him that's also like you haven't given him a star that can kind of like help take his vision to the next level um but like you're just not on the same page anymore and where you are as a franchise is not really where he wants to be as a coach and i think what i meant about the pivot once you don't get like you you i mean swin is plugged in out here so i don't doubt that you know donnie wasn't on the on the menu quite yet in their original plans, but like they, they didn't know how to m- marry where they were with where Tibbs wanted them to be. And Tibbs has, you know, we talk about expectations for these players and the front office. Tibbs also has expectations. Yeah. And I promise you they like, I'm sure he really, really loves Jalen Brunson, like non sarcastically. This guy is literally leading the league in drives and paint touches or paint points, I think, which mm-hmm. is like, that's like the Tibbs dream, right? In a lot of ways, but That's crazy. He's six he's, one. He's, he's still no not dunk. He's still not. <laughs> yo, he yo, he had that dunk. He got the same uh, amount of blocks as R.J. Barrett. Put some respect on his name. They both Hold got on. Just, just quick, Randall. quick digression about uh, Jalen Brunson. I didn't, I didn't get to see him play much uh, in person, like the last few years before he got here. And like you watch him on the TV and all that, but like the few times I've been at MSG this year, and I think I caught him at Barclays for a game. Watching Jalen Brunson in person, to me, is the most fun thing about this Knicks team in a really long time. The way he moves his feet and the artistry that he has and how he plays basketball offensively is just, it's amazing. Like, I I don't remember someone who is so interesting and so captivating for something that's, like, not a highlight reel type of play. It's like, you should just, I don't know if you guys pay attention to it as much as I do, but his footwork is, like, one of my favorite things about the NBA in general this whole season. He's got to be... This is like one of my running jokes on Twitter. He's got to be one of the like top 10 most annoying players to guard. Like you got to stay down for like, first of all, you got to be ready for him to accelerate at any given moment from like zero to a hundred and then mm-hmm. to stop and go from a hundred to zero. And then also you got to worry about like 18 pump fakes in one possession. And even if you get him to stop his dribble, he can still come up with some crazy pivot that like you didn't know that angle mathematically was possible. And even if you predict that, He's going to throw some rainbow fadeaway or floater. Or just it's, pass it and get the ball back and start the whole dance over again. And you yeah. don't have nobody has that kind of mental endurance. It's amazing. He And his, his moves, like for a guy who's not that super athletic, the way he moves w- w- with the ball is always so violent with his mm-hmm. steps. It's just, I don't know. It's it's captivating to me to watch him play basketball. He's, I, I, I tell people, like I've, I bought his jersey. I, this is the first Knicks jersey I've ever owned because... When I was younger, I wasn't like I could get a Carmelo jersey, but I had a Team USA Carmelo jersey, so I had that covered. And like I on it, I remember being in high school and being like, eh, "Do I want an Amari jersey? He's probably gonna get hurt." So I didn't sink my you know allowance or whatever into that. And since then, I'm like, "Whose jersey am I gonna get? Like Shump? I don't know. Like shout out Shump, but like I need 
I need a jersey that I can have on the court for like five years, give or take, at least. At least another contract. And I, I wasn't I sure of that with anyone. was J.R. Smith. The uh, last yeah. one you got was Jr. Yeah, <laughs> that's a quad, that that jersey has aged well. I, I don't. I wish he I was fun, man. I'm not gonna jersey. lie. His sixth man of the year season of the Knicks was awesome. Jr. Forever. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, look, look, we should talk about R.J. Barrett, who has shown some signs recently. Uh, but I think it's fair to say, like, I, I don't know if any Prez, I know definitely won't disagree with this. I will disagree with it. I don't think you would disagree with this, Mike. Definitely been a really disappointing start to his fourth year in the NBA. Um, how much of, like, like, I mean, this is also part of their plan, too. And, like, I think that probably, it's it's hard for them to be like, yeah, our plan was, you know, we're, we're waiting for a star, but RJ is, like, the guy that we were developing. And it's like, you're watching this, and you're like, you're like, come on, do something. Like, <laughs> you're like the me, it's just brutal to watch. The, but, frus- like, the frustrating thing about RJ, and I think, there's two elements that have made Knicks fans just just unable to deal with it. One is like he's not a supreme athlete. He didn't come into the league as a sniper. So like he you want somebody who you pick and it's just easy. It just happens, right? Like we sort of got that with Chris Davis back in the day. But like with the RJ, it's like, ah, oh, first he has to shoot, then he has to work on his touch. Also, he has to make the most of his defense, which he doesn't have the most physical tools because he's only 6'6", blah, blah, blah. And there's like a 100 other things. And he starts doing that and doing that, getting better little by little. And that's cool. But if he regresses like he did so hard at the beginning of this season, it hurts that much more because he doesn't have these just like automatic take it to the bank natural gifts, right? Like you look at someone like Ben Matherin, who's like, it doesn't matter what happens in his career. He will always be able to shoot the hell out the ball. And he'll always be a pretty spectacular athlete. Like, all else could fail, and those things will remain true. But with RJ, that's not the case. And we've already put him on this platform as previously the first or second guy, and this year, like, the second or third guy. And you can't really unring that bell, particularly after paying him, which makes it even harder, right? Like, even yeah. some Knicks fans were like, do we bench Barrett, RJ? I'm like, no, you don't. Like, I nobody shitted on him more than I did. But, like, you can't just bench R.J. Barrett just because he's pissing you off with his development. Like, if you watch Try him me, this... Prez. Try me, pal. <laughs> Swin is like, let me introduce you to my 2K team. <laughs> um, Emmanuel, no, RJ... quickly, all five positions. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, R.J., like, the thing for me that made it frustrating wasn't really all of that. It was just that a lot of the issues stemmed from decision-making. Um, like, we... We know he's an okay shooter. He's not going to be like Ray Allen or something. But we, you just saw him pressing so much early this year, like missing layups, just taking bad shots. And it all came to a head versus Portland in the first half where Jeremy Grant drew 9,000 RJ even said after the game, he was like, I was trying to get some of that too. And you could see him just jumping into guys and the refs weren't having it. And then something happened. And then in the second half of that game, he finally started laying off the like just playing more in the flow and beginning to actually pass the ball when he drew attention which is like i don't know it's amazing because even with with his slump he still drew lots of defensive attention he just was like nope i'm going up i'm shooting through it and i think that i think the difficulty like this year with the knicks offense and this the way that they play right Mm. um for what i as much as i love watching Jalen brunson play like his staccato nature of like playing basketball is not easy to play off of, I imagine. 
right? It's not a guy who just cuts to the rim and he was, you know, he's like straight line getting there. You can cut, you can move to a spot on the perimeter, know that he'll find you for a three. You have to like, like he's, he's playing jazz. You got to figure out where the beats are. Like to figure out how to you play gotta be able to read it, hundred percent like, true. Great yeah, point. and Julius Randle has always played that way too. Even like when things were going well, he'd be just making decisions at the last moment, making passes and deciding where to go after he leaves his feet. I think that happened in Milwaukee last, or against the Bucks last night, where he got called for an up and down. I think he left and tried. Was that the other night? Two nights ago, oh, whatever it was. Julius, no, Julius I, improvises I'm, I'm, because because he has no choice, and he's just like, I, I right. was, oh shit. But Jalen Brunson <laughs> is legit. You're like. I know he has a plan, but I don't know what the plan is. I, I was so it's like my it's hard to. I assume right. it's really hard to play off of that. And like Mitchell yeah. Robinson has a, he's a very skilled offensive rebounder, but he needs to be near the basket. And RJ Barrett needs to be near the basket to be at his most efficient. And then if the shots just not dropping, and this year like just been even the catch and shoot threes are yeah. completely off for him. So it that's why the this. that's why the passing is is something that I've I've been thinking a lot about, and I haven't calculated yet. But I want to go look at um because I know we're we're really high up there in drives and pain points, and I want to look at the ratio of that to like passes and assists. I'm sure Second Spectrum or something has like kickouts, and you can look this up. But like, it's it's got to be pretty rare to be in the paint this much and not pass like we do. Like Julius is having a much better offensive season. But one thing that has come down is his passing, right? Is his turnover is about one to one at like three and three or four and three or four and four or something like that. And RJ spent most of this season just not with zero interest in passing until the last four games, thankfully. And if you're going to have this real tipsy style of drive to the hoop, pressure on the hoop, like Tibbs talks about this. He's like, look, you draw attention and you pass the ball, right? Like this is one of, that's also part of the tips game plan. He doesn't want he wants his players to be assertive and drive, but he's if you ask him like, yeah, should should we kick out? Like drive and kick? Yes, that's his thing. That's been his thing since Aaron Brooks and Nate Robinson were doing it. It's not a secret. And I don't think it's a surprise that now that RJ Barrett is finally driving not to draw fouls, but to score or to pass, you're seeing the offense. Flow. It's it, it's it's flowing relative to what it was before. This isn't like nobody's gonna confuse this with like the fucking warriors or something. But like, sure, I don't know. <laughs> only if we play the Pistons. Uh, have we played the Pistons like a hundred times? Are we Three. done with Pistons? Games? We got one more Pistons game, which is gonna oh bring up our offensive rating. Real nice. Um, we need to that, bank that for later in the I, year. They they put them all too close together. I think that's a reason why Grime stands out though too. He's oh yeah super. Instant. Everything he does is quick decision. Yeah. Um, there's no hesitation, whether it's shoot, whether it's drive, whether it's pass. He had a catch yesterday in the corner. He just oh, blew yeah. by. I forgot who it was that closed out on him. I think it might have been uh, Brooke Lopez. He just blew by him and yammed that thing. I was like, and it was it was like that. Um, but you like, I mean, I'm curious. Like Mike, you said you haven't gone to too many Knicks games. I'm curious. Did you go at the start of the? Have you, did you go to a game at the start of the year? At all? Uh, I went to a preseason game. I think I was there for the Hornets game, which was the start of the year. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, you saw RJ last night, obviously. Um, did he look – did he look – do you think he's looked more athletic and quick as you've gone on? Like, from when you first saw him live to now? Because we and Prez talk about this. I think all Knicks fans have talked about this. He looked really slow. And it wasn't just, like, during that time when he was sick. It was also – before and after it also and then like last few games he's looked a little bit quicker 
a little bit mm. more explosive. Um, do, do, have you seen that at all live, or am I just, or do you, you just don't really? It's just not something I thought about. Um, but that, I mean, that's an interesting. Like, why do you think that will be? Like, do you think that? Have you I noticed? Think he got like, too jacked, man. That's my yeah, theory. He got too jacked. I think he was like. In the second half last year, you know, he started driving. Like, he was fifth in the league in the second half in drives per game, and his usage was 30. And he – I don't even think it's, like, a bad decision or anything. He probably was like, I'm going to have to take a lot of damage next year. Let me build up some armor here. But this man could gain muscle like a football player, so he might have he might have went a little too hard in the weight room there. And, you know, it's nobody expects him to be slim like when he was at Duke or something, but you got to find that middle ground. I mean, maybe. Maybe maybe that was he just thought that he needed to be bigger this year and yeah kind of take the contact that he's going to drive to the rim so much and without well, some contact. I was talking to somebody else who knows way more than I do about fitness. Um, shout out to Omar in the Discord. Um, and you know another factor is and maybe this is what you're alluding to, Shun, is like you know guys gain weight sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but you lose over the course of the season because the workload yeah. just as an athlete is insane. So. You gain weight knowing that, you know, by the All-Star break, if RJ came in at 235, he's not going to be 235 at the All-Star break. You just – it's just impossible with the, the grueling season. So, you know, if, if he starts to lighten up, that might be a part of it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, I hope that that's part of it because that would be great if he gets more athletic through the season. Uh, real quick, though, the NBA season's heating up, and there's still <laughs> so many unknown – possibilities who knows can the knicks run the table and win the atlantic division probably not when i'm looking to get in on the action i bet with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba you customers can bet just five dollars pre-game money line on any nba team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do check this out right now everyone can earn up to a 100 boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets, which like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, that was a smooth ad read. I didn't realize you'd been bought off by big sports book too. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're just corporate now. Um, we really sold our soul, and you know, we're just here for the dollar at this point. Um, I can't I wanna... the hustle. <laughs> no, no one's out here doing this for free. Yeah, I mean, I want to. Uh, I, I guess I don't know. Uh, what your thoughts are here on Randall? I know he's played better this year, but like, I, what do I don't you know. think? Of, what do you think? Here's one thing that I legit like. I'm not going to armchair psychologist any of these guys, but like the defense stuff is just yes, it's frustrating. But even beyond that, isn't it just kind of weird with Randall? Yeah, like it, like like this season. It's one thing. Like think of like Amari, right? Like who is. He was kind of just oblivious, and but Randall has moved beyond obliviousness to like. There's so many times he just doesn't put his hand. He's just like, it's like the last game of a pickup run where he's just like, ah, I'm just here to finish my run up and go home or whatever on defense, and he won't. 
do the rotation. He just kind of floats in no man's lands. And I, I don't know that I've seen something like that. And, and I just, I don't know how to explain it. it it's just weird to me. I, I think, like, the way that Randall plays defense his first year in New York, like, this year is probably closer to the way that he's always played throughout his career. And so mm. maybe that first year with Tibbs is more anomalous and just probably even harder to maintain that type of um, that energy and that type of uh, concentration all season long if it's not your kind of default way of playing defense. Yeah, that's a good point. And then if you add on top of that that, like, his time on the Knicks, he's been basically a wing. And before that, he's never been a wing. So you yeah. combine that with a very uh, laissez-faire, however you say that, <laughs> attitude uh, towards defense in general, and, and maybe this is this is what you get. This is one of those frustrating things um, because, like, we talk about, you know, is Obi ready to play defense for all these minutes? But Obi is closer to a different type of questionable defender where it's not the effort. It's knowing where he has to be. It's does he have the agility to change directions? He was the slowest backpedaler in the world when he came into the league. And he's done a bunch of yoga since then. Credit to him. He looks a lot more smooth when he's moving out there. But, like, even limited agility Obi with effort is, to me, he easily clears Randall on defense, even if guys might push him around because he's not as strong. Like, it, it's not even close to me, which is one of the weird things about, like, the whole, like, is he ready for a bigger load kind of thing? Because... It's not like the incumbents are really out here blowing it out, you know? And that's, I think, the other frustration is, like, nobody's saying don't play. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say that. Lots of people are saying don't play Julius. But, like, just bring it down to 30 minutes and give him a breather, right? If Maybe that's what it takes to let him play more defense intensely throughout the game. But Tibbs doesn't want to make that offensive trade-off. And front office is cool with that. So I guess that's why. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, like, the way that I kind of look at what Tibbs does decision-making-wise is that um, he is kind of small-c conservative about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there are more question marks, I'd say, about Obi and about playing those two guys together than there are about the way the styles that have worked for him throughout his career, about even someone like Julius Randle, about uh, understanding, like, Evan Fournier, and he's got, like, a longer track record of being a you know, good NBA player, what he's done um, than say like a Quentin Grimes or something like that. And, you know, even his allegiance to Derek Rose, like he's, you know, last year was bad and he got hurt, but the year before that, like he was he spectacular, was maybe the MVP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's the, this season is, I don't, I forget how many games the season he came back, but I'm sure Tibbs is trying to give him time to get back into shape and see if he has his form and maybe, I don't think so, but maybe down the line he cuts his minutes a little bit. But, like, that's – if you think about it, like, that's, I think, his way of thinking. It's, like, kind of conservative and more about uh, loss and risk aversion than it is kind of trying to, you know, move the end, move the ante up. Yeah, I think that's why you see a lot of his, uh, his more dramatic strategic changes come season to season rather than in season, right? Like, those dramatic shot profile shifts that have happened literally every year. And, like, mm-hmm. there's definitely a reason those don't happen – in season and they do off season because that's just yeah how he wrote how he approaches it in terms of like small sample size and he's he's not buying it unless he's really seen it for a long time <laughs> <laughs>